Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. In this episode, I interview Brian Wallace, founder of Now Sourcing. Now Sourcing is the top-rated infographic agency in the States. But wait, before you tune out to me saying infographics, what if I said that one of Brian's infographics secured an NBA player a $64 million deal by reshaping the way the US media thought about him all through an infographic? Are you back? Are you back with me? You all know how much I love proving the impact of PR. So that's a statement, right? I asked Brian all about that deal and I find out who else his agency has made famous through visual communications too. We talk about the metrics that his team used to keep client stakeholders wanting more and I find out where Brian believes visual communications, PR and SEO is all going. Here's Brian. Really, if you look at it, we're on the third revolution of our business. So if we go backwards in time, Now we're an infographic agency, and I agree with you when you say infographics or infographic agencies, people sometimes feel the need to pat me on the head and feel bad for me and think that I'm a moron because apparently I'm not aware that you can just download free templates on the internet. Why? Like, what kind of a business is that? What are you dumb, Brian? Come on. Thought you were smart. What are you wasting time for? So obviously, to the untrained eye, and people who don't understand the range and depth of why we do infographics in the first place. That's kind of what they're missing. But working backwards, now we're an infographic agency. But before we did that, we were a social media agency way back in the day when people would laugh me out of their boardrooms, you know, back when like the housing market crisis was destroying the world. Everybody was laughing at us. They were like, what are you kidding? Like, who cares about Twitter and Facebook? That's never going to be a thing. Usually they would call back. And before that, we were actually more like a fractional CTO, CIO kind of place. So portable technology, hence the name now sourcing. So it just stuck and we didn't continuously rename the business. I actually had had probably about a decade or so career in technology. And I found that most people don't care about how technology works. They don't want to hear about all the stupid acronyms. They just want it to work. And if it's not working, they're basically just going to be mad at you. So I kind of had enough of that. The social media revolution hit. I saw that everybody thought that they were a social media expert just because they could tweet something. And I said, this isn't going to work. So one day in 2008, we made the conscious decision to stop doing all things social and double down and dive into infographics as a wraparound kind of a product, everything from the storytelling and the research and the data and the design, obviously, but more importantly than all of that, as you pointed out, the results, making things go viral, but not in a dumb way and getting all sorts of press and SEO and attention. And I have a feeling that's probably what we're going to talk about a lot today. Oh, so yes. Oh, that's yes. what. Yep. <laughs> um, the listeners will know, the, the regular listeners will know my, my background is a mix of PR and SEO and and you're right. There were, though I remember the time when you could start to download the infographic software or make them yourself and, and, and people would just go and find any old stats and try and get that out there. But, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of the format the design is. It's about the, the, the information that you are communicating. So was there like a penny drop moment of you like, actually, let, that's, like, can you, was there like one campaign you're like, wow, that, that, this is it now. This is what our agency does. We are really successful with this and we do it better than any others. Sure. So I think part of why we did it, like I said, there were just too many people that wanted us to do everything social and social has exploded in so many directions. You have to pick a specialty or you're just going to be a jack of all trades, master of none. And I enjoy being among the best in the world at what we do. I don't mean that as ego. I just mean that as uh, Jeff Bezos is popular for saying that your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. So I'm saying validated by other people, not just myself, right? So I think that that's kind of important. But 
You ask a good question. I think that I saw that that was the future of a great communications mechanism. I saw a long time before there was such a thing called data journalism that publications would value it, that people would consume news that way. So I I was betting on it very early. There were probably no more than two or three places in the entire world that did it before we did if you go back to 2008, this is way before everybody was saying, oh, we've had enough of infographics or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, I mean, I just think that the world doesn't really understand why these things are important. So going back to a little bit about what you just said, when people just think that it's a do-it-yourself sort of a thing, I wonder how that works with anything else in life. Do you go to like the Home Depot or something and pick up a bunch of wood and nails and (laughs) screws and you're just going to randomly build your own house? No, like you're not a crazy person. You have somebody build your house or you buy an existing house. Yeah, it's the same with absolutely anything, isn't it? And we are going to... Yeah, I mean, do you build your own car? Do you go to the junkyard? Are you just like, like a normal person? You go to the car dealership. So I don't understand why people think like this. And it's going to take... when. A better way that I try to explain all of this to people is that I tell people that we make the world's ideas simple, visual, and influential. And I think when people understand the enjoyment of those three seemingly different sectors of understanding, that helps them understand it better, right? So simplicity is really the currency that we use to get people to pay attention and stop what they're doing for permission, for more of their attention. The vehicle to do that is through the visuals that are just more expansive and allow people to synthesize a lot of the story and all the data points. And then all of that is the promotion after that. Mm. That's the the best, um, whether it's being called an infographic or any kind of visualized data. Sometimes we just say content marketing because that's like a, a little yeah. bit bigger of the category that people can get their head around. Yeah. That's the that's the magic moment is, is simplicity, isn't it? Like whenever you are yeah, reading something, whether it's reading or interacting with some information on a publication and it is done through a visual way, it's maybe complex or, or data or a lot of data that, you know, in its raw form, I definitely wouldn't be able to 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 take that in and understand it and pull those insights out. And that's what makes great data visualization, isn't it? Like making it really simple. So I would love to just dive into that a little bit more with with understanding your team and, and, and how you go from, well, first of all, what kind of research you do, where you get your data from, but then that, that process of how do you make get to that magic moment of simplifying it? Because there's a lot of PR people who are listening to this and that is a lot harder than it, than, than people. No, no kidding, right? To get anybody it. in the media to pay attention to you. Yeah. For all the PR people listening, please stop it with all these terrible pitches. Um, I see all of these horrible tone deaf press releases, just vomiting multiple, multiple paragraphs and then blanket spamming a thousand people is kind of insane, right? I mean, I don't understand why people think that works. I guess it's a bit of a numbers game. If you spam enough people, maybe a few people will respond. But I also am a journalist. And how many of those pitches do you think I even respond to, let alone run, every year? Mm. Probably zero every year, maybe once every year or two. So it's like it's a losing battle. So simplicity is kind of a trick, right? So like I said, it's permission to get more attention. So it is a bit of a trick, even though it looks like it's simple. If you actually stop and read and consume everything that's in a huge deep dive infographic, that's like a five minute read. So you can get very, very detailed, but that's not how the human brain consumes data when you're looking at stuff on the internet. Um, So basically people don't read on the internet. What they actually do is something that's called chunking. So chunking is a visual process that your brain is looking for shortcuts. And it's getting bored really fast, right? You're getting bored even listening to this part of it. So if you think about it, you have to get their attention really quickly in the headline, not just the header being visual and interesting, but the actual headline. So I tell a lot of people, especially the PR people, forget the infographic, forget all of the promotion, forget all of the design, forget all the research, forget the whole blueprint and all that. What if the only thing that you had in the world was a really, really, really good headline? And that was the only thing that you got. And you could send that email with the headline only. Can you make that headline good enough and not stupid clickbait good enough, but like viral enough, but also 
to the point enough to get somebody's attention. So imagine that the pandemic wasn't going on right now and we could all go to our favorite, (laughs) just a thought experiment, bear with me. So let's just say everything was normal and we didn't have pandemic restrictions and we could all go to our favorite rock or whatever kind of concert of music that we listen to. So the hype person gets behind the mic and what's the person always say, everybody make some noise, right? But all the stupid marketers and PR people and SEO people listen to the hype man instead of the star of the show. Because the hype man tells everybody to make some noise. Our job and our objective as marketers is not to make some noise. Our objective is the complete opposite of end of that funnel, which is to make some signal. So when you can make a signal that stands out through the noise, that's the ultimate power. So the first thing before any of this, the genesis of the idea has to be a resonating title. And everything follows and flows from that. So first, once we have that essential idea nailed, we go through the three teams that we have here at Now Sourcing, the first of which is the research team. And a lot of people don't really understand the point of a research team. So sometimes you might be a research institute and you say, I don't need a research team. We make our own research. And that's when we say, well, it'll probably actually be harder to do because you have enormous, hard to read, indecipherable hundred page documents that nobody can get to the point of. So if I got you in front of a fortune 500 CEO and you have five minutes to get this person's attention, what are you going to put on this person's desk? A hundred page research report or a one page executive summary? Of course, you're going to pick the summary because you're trying to get the person's attention, period. So why everybody overthinks that is beyond me, but a lot of it doesn't bother me anymore. I just know that a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking this through and they're just throwing spaghetti against the wall. So again, flowing from the single idea, we make that research blueprint where it isn't just researching external as high quality primary and secondary data as possible, but it's also sometimes reframing the internal clients data stores. And sometimes we have to tell people, since we already know that there's going to be data about everything, what data do you have to support the idea? A lot of people go data, and this is very important. A lot of people go data first and story after. I was just about to jump in there because I wanted to make sure that I was following and say, so you start with the the angle of the title, the idea, and then go and then go data. Yeah, that is quite unusual. Like normally, you'd see a creative process, and it's like let's review data, let's. And this is why people fail. This is why people (laughs) fail in getting attention because. There is data about everything. You could do a research study any moment of the day. And there's this thing called lying through statistics. There's also the self-fulfilling prophecy bias. So Stella, if we make a survey and we say 98% of people are bored and tired of the pandemic, it's like, no kidding. Of course, you're just making a stupid stat to support things that you want to push an agenda. So a lot of people believe rightfully, that data has been corrupted and is certainly corruptible and is not infallible. So knowing that, let's appeal to people's emotions before we try to appeal to their rational minds. And then because you're perfectly synthesizing the left and right brain and whichever one that you predominantly use, you're satisfying everybody. There's always a better story. Go ahead. Question then on that. So if you are um, appealing to the readers or whoever the audience's emotions, now your clients might not be, they might know what they want to, uh, to promote or to push for, for a story or an angle, but then there is a balance of, of you guys understanding the audience better, right? To, to then marry that to the, to, the, to the angle. Or, I mean, very rarely, I mean, I'm talking generally here, very rarely do our the clients to- are totally in touch with exactly the, what the public want and how they feel, <laughs> as well as the story that they want to get across. So do you have that kind of process as well of trying to match those up? Sometimes it's more of a battle than others, I think is the nice way to say that. So here's what we try to explain to them. Let's imagine clients and everybody listening that you are trying to get the attention of an editor or a reporter at a publication that could change the trajectory of your company and all the other publications as well. So if you're going to be the type of client that insists on a gigantic logo of yourself at the top of it and everything promotional... What's an editor going to say? Even if you're not a professional news editor, common sense will dictate the following. The editor will say, this is obviously overly promotional. And if you want to run an advertisement on our site, it will be X amount of dollars. And then you can say whatever you want. I think advertising and marketing are on the complete polar opposite of the same spectrum. 
Advertising is when, if you've ever seen that movie, The Clockwork Orange, like the torture scene when they hold the guy's eyes open. Sorry to get weird, but it makes the point. Advertising, since you're paying for it, you, ha- you get away with whatever stupid things you want to say. Marketing is making other people say, wow, this is a better choice. And I'm going to make the conscious decision to keep this top of mind for when I need it or my circles need it. I can tell them about it. Why anybody on earth would ever want to do advertising first when they don't need to is crazy. I mean, look at things like Rolex and iconic brands that have stood the test of time. They don't have Black Friday sales. I mean, in America, we have a a huge warehouse chain called Costco. They don't advertise. Amazon barely advertises. So some of the superpowers of the world don't believe in advertising because they believe in branding and marketing. Yeah. Right. So when we tell people in that context, if you can have a better message before you get greedy about your specific message, you appeal to more people and you're hitting multiple targets of people, sometimes concentric circles, if you will. I think a lot of people, they don't think about top of funnel, mid funnel. Uh, Everybody thinks about the end of funnel. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people don't think about is at the top of your funnel, some industries have a problem that there aren't enough people even in the funnel. So if you broaden the funnel, some more people get into your industry. You're not just grabbing more voice of share and market share. You're getting a whole new tribe of people. Mm. So it's a different way that a lot of people don't think about. I'm interested to uh, know a little bit more about the audiences that you you engage for your clients. So what kind of client do you, do you specialize in, in certain industries or verticals? What kind of clients do you have? No, I basically I play trivial pursuit with all of the industries of the world because when you actually break it down, everybody has a product or service that's X that they're trying to sell to Y. So I know everybody thinks that they're special and different, but they're really not. At the end of the day, there really is nothing truly new under the sun. And everyone, I'm not saying that like a self-driving car is the same thing as pet food or something, but when you break it down to its essential elements, it's not that different. You just have different insiders, different outsiders, different things that these people read, different sources that they have influence. But because we've done thousands of infographics for almost the last decade and a half, we've not our first rodeo when it comes to most subjects that are out there in the world. And you find that they work with all types of audiences and, and therefore publications that reach those different types of audiences. Right. Everybody is always like, you know, I'm a really visual person. It's like, yes, I know you and all of humanity. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> I everyone... say that I'm guilty. Right. So I mean, think <laughs> about I say it, it because I'm like, don't expect me to read through lots of numbers and data. <laughs> That's well, a, right. Exactly. That. Everybody's the, thing, the same. Right? So if you ask people, what's something that you remember in a book from elementary school about any subject? They look at you like you're crazy. And then when you're like, no, I really want an answer. They're like, I don't really know. I don't know. Maybe something about the galaxy or the Milky Way or something. But then if you, if you kind of coach them into an answer and you say, now what's a visual thing that you remember? Oh, well, I remember like the way that the solar system looks as opposed to just remembering facts and stats. And we're all forced to understand a timeline that we all forget. Then we just have Google anyway. It's just a better way for retaining data. So it sticks with you. Mm. I'll tell you that infographics are such a good delivery mechanism. Even if it was written in a completely different language than your language of origin, you still might get the point of it. And that's really powerful. So on the um, kind of publications that you and your team are selling into then, um, I mean, this is really sort of diving into the nuts and bolts for, for sure. PR people. But do you have a... Do you ever have any issues with one the exclusivity over a publication and the, the actual design being the same and running throughout lots of publications? Or do you tend to just go for like one big exclusive for your clients, knowing that that title is going to really be, I don't know, hit the impact or meet the objective that they need? Sure. So, yeah, good question. So I'm really more about quality and quantity. I think that there's a big misunderstanding when it comes to the clients and the PR people who push this, that to just get your name and lights into one big publication is false. I think that that doesn't make sense and that's not a proper campaign. And I think, you know, that's very much what you live and breathe and given what you do for a living. So I think that reporting on that helps people quantify that and understand it. Coverage book would be a lot smaller, wouldn't it? If if people only had one exclusive, there wouldn't be a great need for coverage book. (laughs) I mean, I think if I just got people one exclusive, I feel like I wouldn't 
work enough and I would like beat myself up about it and wouldn't be able to sleep well at night. I mean, anytime we're going out there and trying to do a campaign, we're probably getting into at least 50 or hundred publications. So I don't really understand why people get away with this garbage with just doing one. But at the same time, if you're not going to get the publication to link to you in a proper way, I don't understand that either. So it's really just this right quantitative qualitative mix of depth and width and how big the site is, how authoritative it is, what it's helping you from a branding perspective, PR perspective, it's getting into search results, news results, helping your overall search structure, right? So there's so many different ways of looking at that particular, I don't want to like go off on this for an hour. Well, we're going to, you've mentioned mentioned links, you've mentioned authority, authoritative sites. So we're going there, we're going in, we're going in. So you've just mentioned metrics there that um, I think most listeners would be familiar with by now because we do mentions of SEO and PR. Um, You've mentioned a few metrics there that do cross over from PR to meet PR objectives, but then also would be meeting certain elements of SEO objectives there too. So do you find that your clients are coming to you with SEO objectives or brand awareness objectives? Like what is the, the most popular reason that people are coming to you? Man, um, so but do they want were, it all now? <laughs> well, everybody, yeah, everybody gets a little greedy, and everybody, when they see that you're good at something, it's like, well, we want that too. So I think everyone has crazy expectations that they want everything, and that's fair. Um, if you're good, you, you want to deliver things that are good. But because we work with so many different types of companies, so we work with really small companies that are starting out, we work with fast growth startups, we work with a lot of the Fortune 500 and Global 2000 and everybody in between that does B2B, B2C, different models, some sell products, some sell services, some are trying to do lead generation. So it it's all over the place, right? So some people could have the objective to try to get better search results. But at the end of the day, we have to figure out what is something that we can do that works through any of these different models. So like what you said with the exclusive, exclusive is kind of a hard thing, right? Because I think as long as you continuously have different angles on stuff, ultimately nobody cares. But there are some publications that you want to honor by saying, hey, how would you like this first? And if you have relationships with multiple publications, I think it's important to share the love and not just continuously only give it to one, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of PR people don't really understand that if you aren't helping the journalist and you aren't helping the outlet, you're doing a bad job because they're helping you. Why is it not reciprocal? Right? So when you don't help and amplify and things like that, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by coverage book, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics. You can be proud of head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. So are the when people do want some search impact with um, when they come to you with with a project and, and an objective, um, again for the people who maybe don't work in in SEO and just work in PRs, often to actually have any kind of movement in in, in Google search results you need to be doing this kind of work with links coming back to a website over a long period of time. It's very rare that you could just do one project and then suddenly go to number one for, for depends what term it is, but it's normally needs to be over a long period of time. So with that in mind, how many times can you have this kind of format of communications for, for a brand? Um, with infographics like do you have long-term projects over the course of a year or so or do you just tend to do one campaign and get them a lot of links which will have some movement both so there are times when we do a great job and mission accomplished they got funded they got acquired they got the product or service out there and that's enough for people Um, I certainly don't want to talk myself out of the job, but I think a lot of agencies, this is an unpopular opinion, I think a lot of places get greedy and complacent, and a lot of people want to just have you on retainer forever, and if you're not showing up and doing great things, you don't deserve it. I like to work by the project, and you know we'll have continuous repeat projects, but something that Reid Hoffman, one of the guys who actually started LinkedIn, said that I think is a really interesting way of looking at the way that we do work. Rather than just like everybody just works there, hooray, like everybody does that. He used a military term to describe the way that the interplay of work happens. And he calls it a tour of duty. So I like to explain things like that to clients. So I say, okay, we have this particular thing to highlight about your industry and about how you see the world. 
that's what we're going to do it about. So we might start with something foundational and then we might start doing things in different directions. But so, I mean, we've had things that are continuing to run around the internet by themselves, getting picked up all over the place for over 10 years sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, there are things that just will never stop being shared in social and picked up in different languages and blogs and show up in textbooks and have everybody use it. So when you have something that's that good that you're not even pushing it or you're not spending ad dollars, some people would say, well, why do we need more of them? It's like, well, how much do you want to grow? But at the same time, I mean, there's places we've worked with for years and years and there's no end in sight because I mean, we're a creative agency, right? And when creativity is a muscle and the more you exercise that muscle, there isn't a day that we're not creative. So we can always continuously come up with new ideas. The thing that I think is interesting that sometimes is a little different or hard for PR people to get around. I feel like a lot of PR happens around a news event, an announcement. It's a major milestone anniversary of a company. They got funded, they got acquired, they have a new brand, they have a new product line, something like that. We don't need or require any news events whatsoever because we know what both sides want. We know what the people reading this stuff want and we know what the publications themselves are interested in down to the beat and reporter level. So we can make a lot of magic happen in between the news events. And I think that that's kind of a stretch of the imagination for a lot of people. They're like, what do you mean? You can just invent press out of thin air? And the answer is yes. Yeah. I'm, I have uh, lots of questions, which I, w- I want to find out more about your metrics, which doesn't come as a surprise, knowing, uh, people knowing what, what I do. I get quite excited about that. But before we get into the, um, the lower level sort of metrics, I want to start at the top of like the impact. So you, you just mentioned there that you, some of the results of your workers um, created the opportunity for a business to be ready to, to sell. Um, I'm right at the beginning of this, um, of the, our chat, uh, mentioned an NBA player, a uh, $64 million deal. I want to find out more about those headline results. Um, obviously, I want to know about the NBA player, but more of those, yeah. because I think that that's off. I mean, we talk about especially on this podcast, but various groups, just as an industry, we talk about PR measurement so much and we get really into the nitty gritty of which metric should be, should be used. And that's one of the, the most popular questions I get asked, you know, what, what's the silver bullet metric that we should all be using, but it's about those, the real impact, isn't it? And those big headline impacts. So um, if you can share any more uh, of those, I would be interested to hear. And then we could get down into the metrics. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this comes back to, I know earlier in the podcast, you were saying like, when did you really notice that this was becoming a thing? So I feel like most companies don't really have this one moment where they just know everything's great. I think that sometimes it's just a lot of failures or just continuously growing and winning. But there were a few distinct moments in time that I said, this is it. And this is definitely working. So several of them. So there was one we did that's really famous. This is one of the ones that's been running around the internet for about a decade. Uh, This was for a painting company, all about the psychology of color. And you've heard of the phrase watching paint dry, right? So paint is not a very fun and exciting. I mean, it's colorful, but it's not a very fun and exciting industry, right? like apparel, shoes, music, entertainment. Those are all really cool and sexy things. And then you got paint. Okay, where is he going with this one? So once upon a time, this particular company said, hey, we see all this great stuff you're doing. Can you do this for us? And we said, sure, why not? So we came up with an idea about the psychology of color, which I feel like a lot of, interestingly, lots of companies have tried to copy after we did this monumental thing about a decade ago. And this went so viral, it like took them immediately like to the top of page one forever because it's almost like rewiring a person's brain. So they're just clicking around the internet, they're clicking on a social site, a blog, a news site, whatever. And they're like, whoa, this is really colorful. This is teaching me something about color psychology and color theory and interior design. And I'm about to have a baby. I'm about to move. I'm about to have a new office. And now I know that blue, according to the Pantone Institute, is the most productive office color. So I'm going to print this out. I'm going to share it with everybody. And at the moment in time that I need to buy, I'm going with you because you educated me. The week that this came out, it was viral all over the internet. And Google and Adobe are like, we don't know what you just did to the internet, but you're coming to work for us. So, I mean, it was just, it was world famous 
like literally overnight. It was crazy. Um, a few uh, others. Was that, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Was that new research? Did you, did you conduct that research? Was it existing already? That's an interesting question. So I try to explain to people that we're, we're sort of like research light and everybody on the research team, I'm not picking on you. But what that means is we're not like a research institute where we're going to spend millions of dollars on all of these crazy kinds of surveys. Sometimes we get involved with like lower level surveys, but a lot of times it is structuring internal and external data and storytelling, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. That does make sense. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was certainly a notable one Um, for anybody who's kind of like in the SEO and marketing and PPC SEM world. I'm sure many of you have heard of a American company by the name of WordStream that Larry Kim had started back in the day. So we were instrumental to a lot of their early growth and success. And we had several famous works there. Um, One in particular that really got everybody talking was all about how um, basically like how Google makes money. Okay. And that was like amazing back then and all sorts of publications all over the place ran it. But interestingly, the call to action there was for their freemium model and they had like record amounts of sales like they never did before. Um, We did another piece back in the day. I'm sounding like an old guy now, but back in the day when Facebook was IPOing on Wall Street, we did a research compendium study and infographic with WordStream all about comparing Google and their very mature ad network along with Facebook ads network, which was kind of garbage back then. And that's basically what our (laughs) study showed. And um, what's uh, a little bit crazy when you talk about like, what kind of metric can you show? Um, We basically ruined Facebook's IPO. Oh, really? Like there was so much press saying that like Facebook was garbage. I remember that GM like, pulled all their Facebook ads like the day that Facebook was going on Wall Street. Yeah, that's a good one. It was a big win for WordStream, but it was kind of crazy that that happened. Um, Yeah, so obviously we could talk about the NBA player. So his his agent came to us. And when the player, Tobias Harris, was like 22 and a half years old, one of the hardest working players in the league, just incredible work ethic, even as a young man. But he was kind of very quiet, but also like a team captain and a role model, almost like a generation ago when a lot of like our sports heroes were also role models instead of being in the press for bad things that you can look up on your own, shall we say, we can keep that clear. Unless they've had some reputation work. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. It needs a little reputation management for things that they shouldn't have done. Yeah, there you go. So heart of a captain, incredible all-star in the making, but getting underplayed by his current team. So what do you do? So I'm sure many of you have either read the book or watched the movie Moneyball. Mm-hmm. So Moneyball is an interesting intersection of two things that should have nothing to do with one another. One is sports and the other is analytics. And when you combine sports and analytics in the blender, you have a whole new thing. And that's called sabermetrics. This is a whole field of study about looking at sports in a way that nobody ever did for hundreds of years. So overnight, mm-hmm. baseball changed from looking at the part like here's a player who you know is holding the bat for those of I'm pretending to hold a bat for those of you who can't <laughs> see this in a video. So if you look like you're doing good, but you're not doing good, and you're not looking at the aggregation of the players to make a team win or lose, you're looking at it wrong. So when they introduced data science into baseball, teams that were competing for barely any budget compared to the ones with huge budgets were beating the people with like three or four or five times the budget. So it was amazing and it revolutionized the sport. There's now actually a whole thing called the Sloan Conference with all the sports nerds and the data analytics people that meet at MIT every year. It's a big thing. It's a big industry. But slowly but surely, it started to trickle down into other sports. Basketball in particular was a little slower than some of the other sports because, you know, you think of like Michael Jordan and dunking on people and a whole cult of personality and apparel and stuff. But we showed basketball there's a better way of thinking of this case in point. Look at this guy, heart and soul and story, but also the numbers and the metrics. So we got everybody talking about this all over the media, all over social, all over the forums, all over big sports media, right before the trade deadline. So instead of getting like a minimum contract, he ends up getting a $64 million deal, but it gets better because he played well and continued to excel he got a $180 million follow-up and he's now one of like the top 10 paid players in history or something. Wow. It's pretty crazy. That's I'll give amazing. you one more. 
So what was, just on that though, so what was some of the data that was involved in the infographic about him? Like what were the stories? Just so, I mean, we can go and look it up, but it would be great if you can share some. So the the overall story and headline and genesis seed of the idea, like I was saying before, is that there is a paradigm shift in basketball. Well, paradigm shift, I got to go check this out. I love, you know, complaining about how my team loses and they're trading this player and that, but let's talk bigger than that, Right. What do you mean there's a paradigm shift that, you know, it takes a lot of courage to stand up against an industry and tell them they're wrong in a nice way. And that's what we did. Right. And people were fascinated. So uh, there's something called the player efficiency rating, PER, for all the people who are like super stats nerds. And we showed that, you know, like the other like top 10 people in the league were getting paid like insane amounts of money and they were all famous. And meanwhile, here's this guy that everybody's not looking at because they're not looking at advanced sports analytics. So, yeah, I mean, if you are really into stats, like we geeked out like crazy on that one and really looked at some very sophisticated analytics for the sport. Going back to some of the metrics, that, that you've just covered the headline impact that, that, that you've had for some of those clients, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and you probably didn't even need to go into the detail of reporting when you've achieved some of, <laughs> some of those things, especially with the NBA player. But I yeah. am interested and, and I'm especially just want to, uh, with the time we've got left, just home in on, on some of the metrics, especially when we've been talking about um, links and when people care about um, increasing their visibility on Google. So um, again, just getting back, to, I go from uh, this sort of top line, I want the headline uh, right. uh, results, but then I also want the nitty gritty of when people are selling in, because we've all got some kind of all sorts of listeners here. What I'm interested in is when you're selling into uh, publications and you have your infographic of, of stats, you're providing that design, that visual to, to the publication. Now, how do you encourage a publication to link back to a site? or, or to, Do you keep the infographic back? Do you have that on site and only provide them with the, the stats? Or do you provide them with the visual as well? Ooh. That's the, the interesting part, which I know I, I get asked that a lot uh, for when I was doing sort of SEO PR work. By the people who are sending in, that's often the the difficulty to try and secure that link. How do you guys do it? So here's the thing. An infographic is a curation of the world's knowledge that is in itself a new thing. So it actually is a data source. So there are people that write books and publications and government agencies and everything imaginable in between that you can think of that cites our work without us even knowing about it every day forever. Because when you've done thousands of things for a decade and a half, it just continues to pollinate all the time. So understanding that it is a data source rather than like this heavy handed salesy thing, it's easy for them to link to because it is a high quality source in and of itself. Also, if somebody featured an image Have you ever seen image source caption or whatever? So if you're not actually citing a source, that's kind of like stealing money out of the cash register. So since publications are not stupid and don't want to steal things, it's very easy to say, if you want to use this, you have to link back to the source. Mm. So that kind of helps sell it in in a way that we're not pushing the boundary because I I think there's definitely a line in a gray area there where a lot of people do shady things that are probably beyond the scope of this podcast, but just know everybody that I think there's white hat ways to do things, black hat ways to do things and a gray area. Mm. I think that there's a lot of pay to play garbage out there. And there's a bunch of people that say that you can magically be featured in things for only $97 a month. Sure you can. What they usually mean is, is that they pay for a press release that goes on a wire that pretends to be on a bunch of sites and then uh, to use an SEO term has link rot and gets flushed down the toilet because it's not an actual link. Mm. But I don't know how well we want to get into all of that world, but I'm talking about like actual editorial coverage to answer your question yeah. proper. Yeah. I think the, the, the PR people who are maybe new to SEO, um, I, I, I believe some of the ones that some of the people that I, I speak to, they need to be confident in, in this research, in this content, because that was from, for me, when I came from PR world, started to do more link building or SEO PR or digital PR, whatever all the term we want to call it. Right. Um, 
it was the the confidence in 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 this sort of piece of content and being like no no you do need to reference this you do need to credit this and that is a link and and that's it's that that confidence in 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 well actually you have to have the quality content though right and and that's uh, the the good story the good headline and the good research yeah and publications have your reputation to uphold if they think that you're spam or garbage why should they link to you right yeah. so Absolutely. There's an obligation on both sides. The news has an obligation to report fair and balanced news to the world of a high quality of research. So if you're not going to come with your A-game, then you don't belong there, period. You've talked about hundreds of pieces of coverage. Um, You've talked about some of the different metrics. What do your reports look like? You know, what do you include in those? And I guess you have different types of clients as well. So do they vary? Do you always run the same kind of reports, the same kind of metrics? I would love if we could just do one thing and make life easier. (laughs) So we try our best to do that. And I try to explain it as a quality and quantity. So I think that we sit at the perfect intersection of of SEO and PR, but because we're like content and infographics, we almost add a third dimension to that. So And then, you know, we also have just different kinds of social influence on places like LinkedIn and whatnot. So we'll record all the different notable hits so we can just say, hey, here is the quality and quantity of links. Um, I know it's not a perfect metric, but until anybody makes a better one, we're just going to stick with it. We love explaining things by way of domain authority. Right. So domain authority, for those of you who don't know, there used to be a company called SEO Moz, which used to be like an SEO consulting thing. Then they went into SEO tools and they developed a metric, which basically is a yardstick to tell you how popular a website is. Mm-hmm. So it's a logarithmic scale, zero meaning garbage or brand new and a hundred meaning Google and everything in between. So I would tell you that we don't really like to bother. Like, I don't think that unless you're like a brand new site and you're growing like crazy, we typically don't get excited about a link until it's at least a domain authority of, let's say, 30. I would say that's still low. Yeah. I'd say a lot of the internet is probably, as an average, sitting probably in the 40s and 50s. And then we're always trying to get as high as possible. So there's that. And then there's like popularity and glamorous sites. So everybody gets excited about the who's who of the fancy sites. I think that that's a fundamentally flawed way of looking about it, though, especially if they don't link to you. So what's more exciting to get mentioned somewhere that they don't link to you or to go from page two to page one and sell everything? I don't understand why people get excited about that, but sometimes it's ego. Sometimes it's just a looking yeah, good. So Everybody wants to have the as seen in logos on their site, I guess. I don't know. That's but one it, way of organizing your coverage book, right? Having the, the vanity coverage at the front, which doesn't have the, the, uh, the, the links and the, and the idea. Right. Well, probably we'll have a high DA. But. You need both sides of the brain though, right? So, I mean, I think for everybody who get, gets excited about a particular, and I'm, I'm purposely not saying names of sites because I I don't want anybody to hate us about this, but I want to keep it abstract for people to understand. So just imagine in your mind's eye, there's this, like, what would be your dream site to ever get in? And for every site that's like that, there's probably a thousand other sites that actually have better fundamentals, bringing you higher SEO value and higher traffic and interest like even a trade publication might sometimes be better than some of these sites that you think you want. And that's not to dissuade people from all these big sites, but it's just to say that's a very incomplete understanding of what you actually want. So we're trying to help people understand their own campaigns better than what they might have asked for in the first place. Absolutely loving this advice, Brian. Um, it's, it's, for anyone who doesn't, I, mean, I don't normally plug coverage book as much as I am in this episode. Sorry, but it's relevant. Uh, but DA is included in in coverage book, and sometimes people ask because uh, SEO might not be an objective of their campaigns, and that's absolutely fair enough. And they'll be, like, how can I hide that metric? Because I don't care about that one, and and it's and that's fair, absolutely fair. That's why we have a variety of metrics. However, what you're saying, Brian, is so true. It's, you know, you might just have your, and it's difficult to get coverage, right? We know it's difficult. So if you only have that sort of one set of top tier media that you're trying to sell into and, and you, and you view influence from your client's ego, maybe because they just want to get into that site, you know, this actually widens, um, 
yeah, widens your media list and your opportunities, but also it's probably going to deliver a lot more business impact or benefit to to your clients just viewing this different type of influence. Um, so yeah, do have a look um, more into DA and and how you've just explained how you view the score is 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 a really simple way of, of looking at it. So really, and, good and I'll tell you this though. So interestingly, the first time we ever used Coverage Book on a project, we were actually having a problem because it was a large client and they weren't really understanding or appreciating because they're like, wait, we only care about the things where our name is in lights. I'm like, yeah, we're getting that. But look at like all of this stuff. You have to look at the overall campaign. We're not going to get junk links or whatever. But like if you actually look at the totality of this, the amount of work that we're not just pitching people, but actually producing. I don't care. Nobody cares about like your book report of what you did this summer. Who cares how many you pitched? All of that is useless. Like that's just what you talk about when you have nothing to say. And that's a dangerous game. And that probably means you're getting fired soon. So when we showed people quantitatively, not only is it this many links, but look at what I like about coverage books is it walks through a few different ways. First, it looks at domain authority on a site. Then it's also, I think it's connecting against similar web to estimate the overall traffic that that site brings in. So people can understand from a visitor perspective every month, how big the site is. That's two metrics. And then I think you're also doing some algorithmic math to figure out if a site gets X number of people per month, a story should equal Y number of people. So I think when you triangulate all of those We bring the DA into that, actually, yeah, to to, to get a view of how big the site is, how well-developed it is, how many pages it might have that's involved in the algorithm. So So I'll tell you, the week that they saw that, it blew their mind. They're like, oh, like they went from like upset. I'm like, why would anybody ever be upset? Like we get results constantly, like forever. Why would you ever get upset with us? Silly. So obviously it meant that you didn't understand what was going on. So they went from kind of being a little bit pissed off to overjoyed mm, that's just by great. sending them a that's, report. That's, so that's pretty cool. Way to go. We don't, <laughs> we don't get to hear the, the, uh, the comments like that very often. So um, that's really, really good to hear. Um, so obviously it's, it's doing well for, for now sourcing to have these sort of SEO and PR mix of metrics in, in your reports. You've just gone through that. Um, and you're talking about that, the real huge impacts that you are having on people, brands, businesses in all types of, of uh, verticals. But where do you see this? We've, you know, you've been working in, in, in this sort of mix of hybrid area of SEOPR for many years, as have I. Um, and it's interesting to see uh, where we're at right now. But where do you see that going as, as a partnership of two industries? Do you see them as two separate industries is another question as well. But where do you see this going? I don't. I don't see them as separate industries. I love the multiplier effect that happens when people take lateral thinking and multiple divisions and unify them, right? So think about it like SEO and PR are basically both marketing. And then you have a company and they'll have marketing over here and sales over here. And they think that they're enemies. And what happens is marketing doesn't understand how to sell. So they make pretty things. And then sales knows how to sell, but they make garbage looking things. And I never understand that. But then when they crossbreed, you get things like demand gen. And then when you add in operations, you have a new field called rev ops, right? So you have all these things that cross over. And I think that that's where people need to be. I think that also companies need to reimagine the way that they are portrayed. So unless you're going to stand out there with bags of money and they're going to run whatever you tell them, which nobody's going to care about, by the way, you would be better off being the media. So I tell a lot of people that you need to be the media. Does that mean that you're going to be in the top tier overnight? No, because they don't care about you and rightfully so. But if you make your own media company, and consider yourself a media company as everyone truly is, you will start developing your own content, developing your own, you could develop your own publications. You could start getting featured in smaller publications and start upchaining to larger ones. I mean, take a company. I know we haven't been naming lots of companies, but I think an example of a company that's done a tremendous job of this through the years is Red Bull, Mm. right? Red Bull was not very tasty and didn't really have a, big budget or a name, but they appeal to musicians and creatives. 
And then before you knew it, they had their own magazines and street teams and those cars with the giant can in it. And then all of a sudden you have like crazy people jumping from the edge of space. Right. So like, it's like, wait a minute, isn't this a company that just sells like stuff or (laughs) drinks? Like what's going on here? But everyone has something to tell. Nobody is boring. If you're boring, you need to take a look in the mirror and say that you're not. Boring industries can actually win better than exciting industries because everybody else is asleep. And if you show up a little bit, you get a bigger piece of the pie, which I think we already said before. So I think by being the media more than being at the mercy of the media, you get a better understanding of what that's like. Because a lot of times you could be pitching to journalists and all these journalists could be fired tomorrow as all the publications of the world close down and get bought and sold and merged. I mean, we saw... Uh, several months ago, this happened. BuzzFeed acquired HuffPo. HuffPo fired three quarters of their staff. Mm-hmm. So you could have all the best connections in the world, but then what do you do? You're at the mercy of these giant machines. I absolutely love that. Being, uh, becoming the media, becoming the influencer, and being bold. And I feel like through we we are uh, rapidly running out of time, which feels like it's gone so quickly. But I do feel like the you know we've talked about different metrics that um, that people could use. You've given some great advice about how successful reporting on SEO and PR has been for you. But for me, the, the biggest piece of advice for PR people that that you shared today, Brian, is like being bold, like so being confident with with the content that you're sending in, but then also actually becoming becoming the media. It's bit it's such such great advice. And um, for people who want to hear more from you and your team, now sourcing, can you share how people can connect to you, please? Absolutely. So there's far too many people on the internet named Brian Wallace. So <laughs> probably don't even bother with that. Start with now sourcing first. That's where we are on all those social platforms. And then, of course, at nowsourcing.com. Amazing. Brian, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure that we could carry on talking for at least another hour on this topic. Maybe we should make this a regular. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Sounds great. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Brian. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was the PR Resolution Podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode.